Good morning to you all once again, and grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Today is actually the 50th anniversary of the original Roe v. Wade decision of the Supreme Court. On January 22, 1973, the Supreme Court ruled in Roe v. Wade that unborn human beings are not legal persons according to the Constitution. That's what they said back then. That the unborn baby was simply the property of the mother, and the mother can have that baby aborted up to the time that they said was the point of fetal viability, which they determined at that time to be anywhere from 24 to 28 weeks. Now, some had compared this ruling to the Dred Scott decision in March of March 5, 1857, when the Supreme Court ruled back then that African Americans were not legal persons, according to the Constitution. The slave could be bought and sold, used, or even killed at the owner's discretion. So the Supreme Court had spoken in 1857 and again in 1973. And in 1973, a 7-2 majority vote declared that what is in the womb of a woman is not a human being, just a little blob of tissue, potentially human, they said, but the property of the mother to do with as she sees fit, just as the slave was the property of the owner to do with as he saw fit. Now we've seen, after 50 years, that this past June, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization case, the ruling upheld Mississippi's ban on abortion at 15 weeks of pregnancy and in doing so overturned Roe v. Wade and ended the federal constitutional right to abortion in the United States. While many abortion activists have said that this makes abortion illegal, it doesn't. All it does is return the issue to the individual 50 states for them to legislate what each state feels is best. And while this decision was a huge, huge step in the right direction, there's still a huge battle ahead of us over this whole abortion issue. See, but the sanctity of life isn't simply about the rights of the unborn. It's also the, the right to life for the aged, for those with special needs, anyone who has been created in the image of God. And that's where we're going to begin this morning. And I'll admit that I'm going to spend probably more time on the abortion issue this morning because that's the one that's currently being addressed in the media and in our government today more than any other. We said that the Supreme Court had ruled in 1973 that what was forming, what was growing in the mother's womb was, was not life, but simply a blob of tissue that the woman could do with as she pleased. But we also saw that in 1857, the Supreme Court had shown that they were not infallible and could make very wrong, very hurtful decisions about human beings as slaves. You know, I'm really grateful that my life is not ultimately controlled by or guided by the decisions of our nation's Supreme Court, but that my life is guided and directed by the court of God Almighty, the creator of the universe. And it is his word and his decision that is the final authority in everything. With that in mind, I would like us to look today at what the Bible, God's holy word, has to say about this issue of the sanctity of human life. And I can't think of a better place to begin than in the beginning, in the creation account. So I invite you to please take your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, and please stand with me as you're able in honor of reading God's word. 
This morning I'm going to be skipping around a little bit in the creation story, so just follow along, I'll let you know where I'm going. <coughs> beginning at Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Skipping down to verses 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now skipping over to chapter 2 and just verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Lord, I thank you that you are the creator of all. <coughs> that we didn't just come about accidentally, as, as many think, Lord. Help us, Lord, as we look at your word today and we look at this whole issue of the sanctity of life, Lord. Guide and direct us. May your Holy Spirit, Lord, um, guide my words and my thoughts and all of us together, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations and attitudes of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you as we look at this issue today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Back in November of 2021, Dave and Jan Oxendahl's great-grandson, Crew, was born very prematurely. If I have this right, he was, what, one and a half pounds when he was born, and about three months premature. Is that correct? Crew is actually here with us today. We've been praying for this young man for a long time. So when he was born so prematurely, very heroic measures were taken to save and preserve this child's life. Why was that? Well, it's because we have an obligation to protect, to nurture, and to care for other human beings who would die without our help, especially little children. Now, we also see the hand of God in this situation, don't we? In his life, in his recovery, now in his development. But the Lord also used modern medical technology to keep this little one alive, and he's doing well now at what, 14 months, I think you said? At 14 months, he's doing very well. But I want you to consider this. Under Roe v. Wade, and even in some states still today, if Crewe was still in his mother's womb at one and a half pounds or even at a more advanced stage, there are still many who would have no qualms about ending his life in an abortion. And if a doctor had come into the hospital room after he had been born, taken him out of his incubator and ended his life, that doctor would have been guilty of murder. But this same little boy, precious in the sight of God, could have been plucked from his mother's womb at any time during the pregnancy, according to many people in our world today. So really, everything in this issue revolves around what's growing in the mother's womb and what the Word of God has to say about it. And God's Word, I believe, is very clear that the womb contains a person, a life that is being formed in the image of God. Genesis 1.26, again, God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And in verse 27, so God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. 
Male and female, period. He created them. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? The Hebrew words for image, which is selim, and likeness, which is demut, they refer to something that is very similar to but not identical to the thing that it represents. We can't be identical to God because only God is God. But our being created in the image of God has moral, spiritual, mental, relational, and physical implications. Morally, our sense of right and wrong sets us apart from the animals. Spiritually, we are able to relate to God as persons. Mentally, we're able to think and reason logically. Relationally, man is able to have relationships, relationships in marriage, in friendships, relationships in the church, at work, at school, everywhere we find ourselves in God's creation. Physically, we have eyes, we have ears, we have a mouth. God is is spoken about in the Bible that he sees, that he hears, that he speaks. All of these are part of man being created in the image of God. So every human being ever conceived has been created in the image of God. And that's where we find our value. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we read that God breathed the breath of life into man when he was created. That's not said of any other living things. Only man is said to have the breath of God in him. This gives us value over every other living creature. If we move on in the story to Genesis chapter 9, we see the covenant that God made with Noah. And in verse 6, we read these words. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God has God made man. God continually comes back to this teaching. So right here in the covenant that God made with Noah after the flood, we see that God has said that we are not to shed the blood of other humans because all human beings have been made in the image of God and thus have value. But there are still many, even some who call themselves Christians, who believe that this life in the image of God doesn't begin until the baby is born and takes his first breath. See, but modern science has shown us through ultrasound technology that a baby's heart begins beating anywhere from 18 to 21 days after conception. The baby's brain waves can be measured from 40 days. The pictures of perfectly formed hands and feet can be seen in only a few weeks. And at that early stage, many women don't even realize that they're pregnant yet. But we can see that this baby is already forming. But many still believe that that legally... Life doesn't begin until a baby takes his first breath, no matter when the brain waves or the heartbeats are first appearing. But also legally, if we go to the other end of the spectrum, death doesn't occur when we stop breathing or when our heart stops beating because we can keep somebody alive on a, on a respirator for a long time if they can't breathe on their own. We can restart someone's heart to, to get it beating again, Right? Death is only truly measured when there are no longer any brain waves. But a baby's brain waves can be seen very, very early on in the pregnancy. Do you see the paradox here? It doesn't fit. 
Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. So what's the answer? When does life truly begin? In our scripture reading this morning, we read from Psalm 139. And we read the words of David as he described beautifully that God was already with him in his mother's womb. That God is in the womb with the child from the moment of conception. David said, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. In the original language, that you is is very emphatic. David is saying, you God, you yourself and no one else made me. It wasn't nature. It wasn't mother nature. It isn't by accident. It's not by evolution. None of those things perform the miracle of life in the womb. It is God and God alone through the way that he has created us. We sang a song this morning that said, God and God alone created all these things we call our own. Again, from the mighty to the small, the glory in them all is God's. And God's alone. Do we truly believe that? If so, then we have to believe that God is the creator of all life from the mighty to the very small. That small baby growing from the moment of conception is created by the Lord and it is life. The NIV says, you created my inmost parts. Other translations use, for you formed my inward parts. The word that's, that's translated here, created or formed, in the original language, it has the idea of originating or originate. So our inward parts originate with God. They come from Him. And this thought of God knitting us together, or as other translations say, you wove me together in my mother's womb. It carries with us this idea of, of knitting something together into an interwoven creation. Anybody here knit? Some, some hands. It's got to be. Few of you knit. Okay, few of you knit. Well, it's this, it's this idea that, that, that God is involved in placing all of our organs and various parts of our bodies together in, in such a well-ordained fashion that his creation forms, forms this thicket of muscles and tendons and bones and, and blood and veins and arteries and organs in which God gives and sustains life, not just a bunch of tissue but life. This passage in Psalm 139, more than any other in the Bible, is the one that's used to speak against the abortion industry, to show that life doesn't just begin at birth, but that even in the womb, from the moment of conception, God is there with the new life, forming that baby into who God wants he or she to be. And according to David, that womb should be a place of safety, a place of protection. But our world has tried to redefine life so that it doesn't begin until after the baby is born and has said that that baby in the womb is is simply tissue, right? Not of any value whatsoever. And if that tissue that's growing happens to be growing at a time that's, let's face it, not convenient for the mother, then it's okay for her just to get rid of it. But I want you to think about this for a minute. If that tissue isn't valuable, if it doesn't contain life, if it isn't life in and of itself, then why are so many in the world so intent on getting that tissue and selling it to make a profit so that others can 
well, supposedly advanced science. The fact that so many scientists, and I use that in quotes, scientists want this tissue tells us that there is life within it, that it is valuable, and that it should be protected and left alone in the womb so that that baby can grow into the boy or the girl that God created him or her to be. There are other verses that talk about life beginning in the womb. In Isaiah 44, verse 24, God tells Isaiah, This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, who what? Who formed you in the womb. God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I formed you in the womb, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. God had plans for both Isaiah and Jeremiah from before the time they were conceived. And he formed and created them specifically for those plans and purposes in the womb where life is created. But that's not the way many see the issue today. They will say that it's okay for the mother to take the life of the baby simply because it's her body, so it's her choice. And sadly, a vast majority of abortions are done simply because the pregnancy came about at an inconvenient time for the mother. I'm going to talk to you about a survey that was done, and this survey was done by a research division of, get this, Planned Parenthood. Okay? But listen, I want you to listen. These are their statistics. And their survey showed that only 7% of all abortions were performed in America because of reasons of distress of some kind. Only 7%. And, and thinking of who did the survey, I would put to you that that number's probably less. Probably less. But here's the breakdown of their numbers. They said 3% of abortions were done because of a threat to the mother's health. Another 3% were done because of possible, possible health problems in the baby. And 1% or less were done because of rape or incest. So that means that 93, according to Planned Parenthood, 93% of all abortions for what they, for were, were what they called birth control or social reasons. Here's the breakdown of that 97, 93%. For those who were concerned about how the child would change their lives, 16%. For those who were simply not ready for the responsibility, 27%. For those who say they couldn't afford the baby, 19%. For those who were having relationship problems, 12%. For those who were simply not mature enough, 11%. And for those who said they already had all the children that they wanted, 8%. All of these, all of them are a matter of convenience, not necessity. The question that gets asked all the time from the other side is, well, what if the mother's life is in danger? Shouldn't she have an abortion then? Well, I'm going to share with you what uh, Dr. C. Everett Koop shared. You guys familiar with that name? He used to be the Surgeon General of the United States. And he said that in his more than 35 years of medical practice in obstetrics, this is his quote, never once did a case come across my practice where abortion was necessary to save the mother's life. He said not once, at least in his practice. Now, are there issues? Yes, there probably are. Okay? But in his practice, he said no. Another doctor, Dr. Jaime Gordon, who is the professor of medical genetics at Mayo Clinic, said this before Congress in testimony before the Senate. He said, 
Now we can say unequivocally that the question of when human life begins is no longer a question for theological or philosophical dispute. It is an established fact. Theologians and philosophers may go on to debate the meaning of life or the purpose of life, but it is an established fact that all life, including human life, begins at the moment of conception. This is on record in the Senate hearing. And there are probably fewer and fewer supporters of abortion who will still argue over when life truly begins, but they will say then that the issue, of course, is that the woman should have complete control over her body and whatever happens with her body, and no one should be able to tell her what to do with her body. That's really where the issue lies today. And sadly, we've seen that for a vast majority of cases, the woman's choice to have an abortion is simply made because a pregnancy has occurred. A life has begun at a time that's just not convenient for her. Again, because it's her body, they'll say it's her choice as to what to do with that pregnancy. Again, I bring us back to Proverbs 14.12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Now there are other issues besides abortion that the sanctity of life addresses. There are issues that arise when, when the end of life is very near. And many families struggle with these issues when a, a loved one has a terminal illness or is in extreme pain. Because none of us wants to see somebody suffer. There are some states today that have passed laws that state that a person who has been diagnosed with a terminal disease and has been given six months or less to live by their doctor, that they may request a prescription that they can take to end their life and thus end their suffering. Very few states, but there are some states that have done this. Now, this is not quite the same thing as physician-assisted suicide, but I think it's about as close as you can get, because to me, the doctor is still assisting the patient to end their life. And I'll admit, this is a very difficult issue to discuss, and it's something, honestly, I hope my family or your families never have to go through. Again, we never want to see a loved one suffering. And if they're in extreme pain, many would argue that the humane thing to do is to help alleviate their suffering and to help them to die. But in doing this, aren't we kind of placing ourselves in the position of, of playing God, of deciding who lives and who dies? Isn't that specifically God's domain? What did Job say? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Life and death are in God's hands, not ours. If we have a loved one who is suffering, yes, there are medications that can help to alleviate that suffering and pain without ushering them into death before it's their time. And if we begin to play God with those who are suffering, where does the line get drawn? Where do we draw that line? How soon will we see doctors and family members making decisions to end the lives of those who are no longer I don't know, just capable of contributing to society? What about those who are suffering from mental illness or those who are physically or mentally disabled in some way? Each step we take in that direction just gets us one step closer to being, us being able to say who should be allowed to live and, and who shouldn't. And friends, that decision is simply not ours to make. God is the giver and taker of life from the womb to the tomb. In China and other countries, abortions are performed on babies when they determine from the ultrasound 
that the baby in the womb is unwanted for one reason or another. There's a very high premium in producing baby boys, so sadly, many baby girls are aborted. And if the ultrasound shows a possible birth defect, not even for sure, but a possible birth defect, that child is quickly aborted as well. China has this one-child policy, which leads to the abortion of many girls and any babies that are not seen to be able to benefit society. In India, it's much more expensive to have a daughter than a son. You know why? Because that family is eventually going to have to pay a large dowry when that girl is given in marriage. That's just part of their culture. So when the ultrasound shows that a baby is a girl, again, sadly, some of them are aborted. This is happening around the world today. Think about the implications of this type of thinking and implementing this kind of policy. Let's move forward a couple generations. There'll be millions of men who will have no women available to be their wives. How will the population continue? And maybe this is part of their agenda. I don't know. I know that's a drastic projection of what maybe could happen. But this is what can happen when we don't value all human life from conception onward because each life has been created in the image of God. Because Scripture shows us that God values life. And if we're serious about Scripture, then what is set before us in God's Word is a pro-life ethic where you and I are called to work for the preservation and the protection and the welfare and the respect of all human life. And we shouldn't do this with a callous or condemning attitude toward anyone who finds himself or herself for whatever reason in some heartbreaking situation where they feel that they are having to, to choose abortion or make some other anti-life decision. No, instead, instead we, we, we walk with them. To be pro-life means we agonize with these people. We love them. We walk with them. We weep with them. We, we point them to the truth of Jesus Christ like you guys do in your ministry, right? We, we, we agonize with them over this decision. But we love them as Christ has loved us. We point them to the truth. A pro-life person is one who stands in the breach for the lives of the unborn, for the poor, for the sick, for the abused, for those living in addiction, for the disabled, for the dying, and we stand with passion and compassion, even toward those who militantly disagree with us. To be pro-life is something far greater than any one issue. It's bigger than simply our stance on abortion. To be pro-life means that our attitude is shaped primarily by the Word of God, not by what seems to be most humanitarian or expedient, or economically or emotionally less painful. It's trusting that God, who gives us his word, is much more loving, much more humanitarian, much more compassionate and understanding and forgiving than any of us could ever hope to be. And it's realizing that this same God, who has forgiven us and who now lives inside of us, also wants to forgive those who don't hold to the same biblical views that we do. The sanctity of life begins with the belief that every person has been created in the image of God, and because of that, every person has immeasurable worth. The sanctity of life means that all stages of life, from the womb to the tomb, are part of God's gift to us 
and are to be treasured and lived in the fullness of life that Jesus promised to all who would come to him. The sanctity of life also means that we who have the truth, the truth of God's word, should have a burden to share that truth with others because God has created them in his image as well. And he wants them to come to salvation through faith in Jesus. So on the Sanctity of Life Sunday, I would challenge all of us, myself included, to take a stand for life, to go against the grain of our culture, and to work for the protection and the preservation and the welfare of all human life. Because anything less would not be faithful to the Word of God. Life is sacred. Our lives are a trust from God and therefore should be dedicated and lived to achieve God's divine purpose. His purpose for us is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. To love our neighbors no matter where on that spectrum of life they might be. No matter what they may be going through, no matter what their belief system may be at the time. To be pro-life means to treasure every human life as God does. Because He has created it in His image and for His glory. Please pray with me. Lord, this is an issue that has, wow, divided our nation probably more than any other. At least in the last 50 years. Lord, we stand by what your word says, that you are the creator of life, you are the sustainer of life, that all human life has value because you have created us in your image. Help us, Lord, to remember that each and every day, to treasure life, to support and protect the lives of those around us too, Lord. That it's not just about this abortion issue, but it goes way further than that. Help us, Lord to live our lives in ways that are honoring and glorifying to you, to be willing to share the message of love and grace with those around us who so desperately need to hear it because their lives are valuable to you too. As we sang earlier, Lord, open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts so that we may be used of you to share life with those around us because they are precious to you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.